The talk tonight is about insight meditation. When we're born into the human world, we're born into a profound world of change. It's a vast mixture of pleasure and pain and joy and sorrow. The spiritual journey is coming to understand this world of change that we're born into. Pleasure, pain, joy, sorrow. And it's out of this understanding that we see that we don't have to be imprisoned by our reactions to change. For example, we tend to react to the pain in this world with indifference or denial or fear or anger or irritation. And we tend to react to the appearance of pleasure in this world and then its disappearance with attachment or wanting or clinging or craving or addiction. We develop the power of wise attention so that we can change how we're relating to the changing nature of our lives uh, from one of aversion, attachment, or delusion. We change to a relationship of mindfulness or wise attention, which hopefully will lead to deeper and deeper levels of peace and the happiness that comes from that peace. Initially, in insight meditation, we become less indifferent to suffering, our own suffering, and the suffering of others. So one of the goals is to understand how and why we suffer. The Buddha taught ehipasiko, Come and see for yourself. Explore your own mind and body. It's applied to our own experience, the mindfulness, and that's why we call it practice. The word practice is uh, so important. It has so many implications. It's usually one of our hopes initially in practice that we can do a little bit of meditation and then get it, you know. (laughs) We'll do a three-month retreat and then be done with it. Uh, And I think that one of the ways that we mature in practice is to realize that uh, we're applying the mindfulness over and over. It's like our intention to be mindful will deepen to the point that we see that practice means that it becomes a way of life that certainly we have that intention over and over to be free. So this doesn't come from just listening to a talk or hearing a tape or doing one walking meditation. It's like it slowly sinks in to the place where that intention keeps deepening. The application of the mindfulness with some kind of continuity to our own experience is what results in vipassana. So the mindfulness with continuity results in insight. It results in vipassana. The insight that we can have is insight into impermanence or anicca, or insight into dukkha or unreliability, or insight into anatta or the instantialness of experience. 
It's the acceptance of the insight. It's like the acceptance of the truth of how things are that frees our mind and heart. So I'd like to weave in two different kind of um, aspects of understanding mindfulness tonight. The first is mindfulness is the intention to understand rather than to judge our experience. So non-judgmental attention is what makes it possible for us to see clearly and for insight to arise. The other aspect of mindfulness is non-conceptual awareness or sometimes um, Steve will call it a pre-verbal awareness. This spring, Steve and I taught a 10-day retreat in Honolulu, uh, and the meditation hall is right across the street from several neighbors' houses. So we started to do the uh, opening Friday night of the guided sitting, and it was very quiet in the hall. And maybe we were sitting for five minutes, and a a car drove up to the neighbor's house. And a woman got out of the car and started talking with the neighbors, and there was a lot of laughter. Um, You know, so, you know, one of us was guiding the meditation and said, bring your attention to the direct experience of hearing itself. Notice the vibration of hearing, rather than getting lost in what's causing the concept of the sound. And then another car pulled up, you know, when we were saying note hearing. And then the person got out, and there was more laughter and talking. And uh, then another car pulled up, and yet another car (laughs) pulled up. And there was more laughter and talking all during the sitting. Uh, So we were encouraging people to be not only noticing the vibration of hearing itself, but also to start noticing just thinking rather than getting lost in the thoughts about the sound. At some point during the sitting, I knew (laughs) that people were probably getting lost in thoughts like, at least, oh, that's a car. Oh, that's laughter. Uh, But really, I was (laughs) pretty sure people were wondering, you know, are they going to be having a party all night? Oh, no, maybe this is going to go on all week or I can't stand this, or maybe people had a thought I shouldn't be thinking, or I wish I was at the party <laughs> instead of sitting here. <laughs> you know, it was that range of uh, getting uh, lost in the proliferation, we call it proliferation, all from the sound of a car, and then laughter, and then getting identified with the thoughts and believing the sounds. We don't usually have time to explore our moment-to-moment experience from this kind of uh, momentariness uh, when we're leading a very busy household life. Uh, So the gift of a retreat like this, especially this kind of retreat, is having enough time and space and then the ups and downs of energy uh, that enable us to really see our human life much more clearly. The kind of situation that I'm describing is the kind where we learn a lot about acceptance of change and seeing how we react to the change with aversion or attachment. 
or wise attention. So we can start to see uh, that shift from being in the non-conceptual experience and then getting lost in the conceptual experience. That's the difference between noticing the vibration of hearing, noticing the thoughts, and then getting lost in the concept about the experience we've gotten identified. So in relationship to that situation, the people who maybe didn't understand much about meditation were really wanting peace and quiet. And the sounds were very disturbing. But actually, if you practice long enough, you realize that uh, the real noise is our reaction in the mind and the heart. Uh, And the real peace and quiet is the non-reactive mind in this world. I'm sure all of you have been experiencing some way of this already on the retreat. And maybe you'll have the sense of, I shouldn't be thinking, when you notice you're getting lost in the conceptual thoughts. But that's not the idea. The idea is that you just start to be aware of it. We're not trying to get rid of the thinking. We're just trying to see it clearly. And usually we have to learn how to ground the attention with something physical over and over again so that we can stand a chance to see thoughts clearly. It's not an easy uh, practice to see thoughts clearly just as they are. Keeping it simple, meaning that we are really aware of the movement of the breath or the body or sound or the movement of the legs in walking, will establish the stillness and the concentration enough so that we can start to see through the um, amazing mental proliferation that happens in our human mind. So applying mindfulness to our experience moment by moment results in insight or seeing the truth of how things are. And all of the blessings of the wisdom and the compassion and the freedom will flow from this. Understanding impermanence, understanding that everything that takes birth passes away, is usually the first step on the retreat in our spiritual journey. A retreat I taught recently in California, um, I was going through the interview sheets where people answer the questions about how long they've practiced, who they've practiced with, um, and then in this, in this um, meditation center, one of the questions is, are there any um, physical or mental or emotional uh, things in your life that might interfere with your practice? You know, so I was going through reading these sheets the first night, and I came across one of the most amazing answers I've ever read. Uh, this woman said... Um, I have esophagus cancer, and I, might, I will probably die in the next week or two, but this shouldn't interfere with my practice. Mm-hmm. 
she had a really difficult yogi job, you know, and she just practiced. And then toward the end of the retreat, she had to leave. Uh, And there wasn't even a trace of resistance. There was just this deep acceptance of the momentariness and fleetingness of life and change. And it was such a teaching for all of us. Uh, the The woman that I know that shared her uh, yogi job with her had no idea, you know, and then when she disappeared, you know, she asked me what happened. You know, she had just had no idea. So much that deep acceptance of just how things are. And I think that we all need to remember to practice in that way. Stephen and I have um, a family nearby that are needing some of our assistance lately. Uh, and uh, one of the young women in the family uh, is taking an advanced biology course. And uh, luckily she didn't ask me to help her with her homework. <laughs> uh, but she did show me these pages and pages of this um, experiment she'd been doing. And then she showed me her conclusion. And the first line of the conclusion, uh, she'd been looking through microscopes at these uh, single-celled beings that I can't even pronounce their names. Uh, And the first sentence was, um, all matter is changing. There's nothing solid. All matter is changing. And it was so amazing to me that um, one can see that so clearly in a microscope, but we often don't really get it intuitively in that way. Like we can see something intellectually or scientifically, but the implications of it are totally lost on us. And it's really only when we examine our own mind and body from that perspective, you know, that, yeah, (laughs) all matter is changing, there's nothing solid. Uh, but do we get the implication of that? And then how does it transform our life? Hopefully that's what happens when we really get it non-intellectually. So this insight is coming from our direct experience where it comes intuitively, not from trying to figure it out intellectually. Understanding dukkha uh, is dependent on, on our understanding of change. And so because we accept that change is happening, we start to see that we never know what's going to happen. And this, again, it's not um, something that we're seeing so much on a broad level as much as a momentary level. Uh, And the impact of it wakes us up and brings the transformation. It's because we see the truth of change that we realize that experience is unreliable. There, there are different uh, translations for this, so sometimes it's called suffering or sometimes it's called unsatisfactoriness, but it means the intense vulnerability of all existence because of the change. The third insight, insight into anatta, which um, means that no matter how closely we might look at the body and mind or another's or an insect's or or whatever, uh, a bird, we can't find a solid separate self. 
Uh, and part of our, our life here on the retreat is really investigating this, exploring uh, who we are on very fundamental levels. So we bring this um, attitude of non-judgmental attention to our experience, and the insight into anatta comes by um, understanding the insubstantialness of a moment of seeing or hearing or touching or tasting or smelling or thinking. Uh, If you see a thought clearly, you'll understand anatta. You know, if you look at it directly and see how ephemeral it is and how insubstantial it is, you'll get why um, bringing our attention to the non-conceptual is so important in the practice. Uh, so the, the implications of understanding anatta are really, I am not my body, or I am not my mind, or I am not my heart. And this, this kind of insight is usually the hardest for us to grasp. Uh, and it's often something that we strive after, but really it comes um, <laughs> by not striving, by just keeping it simple. And some, at some point, and it doesn't necessarily happen sitting on a zafu. It can be happening, it can happen eating a banana or brushing your hair or lying down to go to sleep. Out of the insight that we develop, liberation happens. So it's by noticing our changing experience with mindfulness that we start to get that a lasting happiness doesn't come from experience. Uh, So we are no longer tied or chained to experience as something that will yield a permanent happiness. This doesn't mean that we don't experience the happiness of pleasure. Uh, So, for example, the beauty of the leaves changing is something to um, not push away. It's like there is a happiness there, and hopefully we notice seeing... And hopefully, if it's pleasurable for us, we become aware of enjoyment. Uh, So we don't try to get rid of enjoyment, just as we don't get rid of um, pain. It's more that we just start to not be so identified with it as me, or I, or mine. The happiness that comes from pleasure is a very insecure happiness. And especially the more imprisoned we are by it, uh, the more suffering there is. There's such an incredible relief when we understand that we don't have to be imprisoned by experience. It's why we're all sitting here. Uh, A moment of mindfulness means our attention is free, and that freedom is what we thirst for. You know, it's why we put ourselves through this process because freedom feels wonderful. There is nothing else like it. There's no other taste like liberation. We're also all here because we've had glimpses of this freedom already. It's not that it's so far away from us. Um, 
we might have times where we have a glimpse of freedom and then we'll feel the clouds roll in again. Uh, and maybe it's just, in New England I find um, the, the cloud fronts uh, very different than living in Hawaii. It's like the weather there, when it changes, it changes very quickly and the clouds roll through over the Pacific uh, with less solidity. Uh, and you can feel the mood of, of New England. Uh, there are times when you feel the clouds come in and you know they're going to be here for a few days. You know, it's just you can feel it. It has that energy. And sometimes when we're sitting, we'll have that sense of irritation roll in. And you know it's not going to just be, oh yeah, my good friend irritation. And you know, it's gone in a minute. You can feel there's a, the power to it. Uh, and we, we have to have great patience. And sometimes it's very stormy. It's, there's that range of, of clarity uh, or loving-kindness and then the real times of total identification and being lost. Luckily, eventually it clears and it's through that recognition and remembering to be here again, remembering to be mindful, even if it's the mindfulness of the resistance or the impatience we get incredible inspiration from the glimpses of freedom that occur. And it keeps us going on our journey to freedom. It takes time for the practice uh, to sink in. It sinks in in spite of ourselves. It sinks in in spite of our intellect. Uh, you know, and all we really have to do is just keep showing up and showing up and showing up and having that patience to do that again and again. I find it very inspiring to, um, when I do teach in Honolulu, I'm mainly working with people that um, have a number of children, full-time jobs, or kind of struggling, uh, struggling to survive. Uh, and there are people who haven't had the opportunity to even do a day long or a weekend. And over the years, they just come to a, a Sunday sitting from 5 to 6.30, whenever Steve and I are around, uh, which is, doesn't have a tremendous amount of continuity. Uh, and the practice is sinking in. But it happens in a kind of different way than, than on a three-month retreat like this. Uh, so one of, one of the students I have came up to me right before I left. Uh, and maybe a month before, I had done some little example during a short talk about eating meditation. Uh, and I think those of you who know me know how much I can get into describing eating chocolate. Uh, so I, had, <laughs> I was describing, you know, that moment of reaching, lifting, opening, you know, tasting, liking, <laughs> enjoying sweet, 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 and then wanting wanting, wanting, <laughs> reaching, just describing that process and even noticing when you're tasting, when I was tasting the sweetness and liking that I was already wanting more before I swallowed. You know, now we can pretty much, you've already noticed that, I'm sure, eating here, how hard it is to actually notice swallowing. I mean, how many times do you really notice swallowing? It's like it's already happened before we notice it. Um, I took one three-month retreat uh, to notice tying my shoelaces on my sneakers. And I would wear them every time I did walking. 
And you know there's a lot of walking periods in a, di- in a day. And so I had this very firm intention to notice making the loop. Uh, and it would just astonish me that I would miss it. Just with that intention, it would be like, Whoop! you know, it's just like, well, that's gone, let's try the next one. Whoop! You know, it's just like, I would just do it so quickly and so habitually that I would miss it. It's the same thing with a step. You know, when you try to make it from this wall to that wall, how many times do you miss it? You know, and it takes some lightness and humor and patience and determination uh, to stay with this. What, luckily, there's always another chance. You know, there's always the next step or the next breath. Uh, so this student was listening to me uh, describe the eating. Uh, and in his lunch break at work, he decided to try being mindful. And after a few weeks, uh, he had this experience, you know, and it's not so much that um, we can just take the description of what a teacher says and apply it. We'll try to apply it, we'll try to practice it, but at some moment it sinks in. And when he saw his attention wanting his next bite before he swallowed, he got it. I mean, he got it on such a profound level. It's like he realized that that wanting, getting identified and caught in it, was causing all the suffering in his life. And it wasn't just that he got it in eating. He got it driving. He got it talking to his children. He got it with a breath. It's like it sunk in. You know, and that's that moment of transformation that's so powerful for us. And then maybe it clouds in again. In fact, it does cloud in again. We forget, you know, why, why am I doing walking meditation? You know, why would I want to be doing that? You know, what does a breath have to do with anything? You know, we just lose it. Uh, and I would guarantee that by the third night of a retreat, you're wondering sometimes, you know, you know I could have been doing something else with this time but I'm here. So it takes a lot of, um, again, the patience to go through the times when we forget why we're doing this. And then at some point you'll remember again. Usually you know when there's a, a sense of understanding happening in the practice because it's usually followed by a lot of gratitude. You know, it's a kind of marker in the landscape of our journey. When, whenever we have this experience of gratitude, we usually um, realize that we've understood something and that it's worth, it's worth the journey. Before I did this meditation practice, uh, whenever I was suffering, and I suffered a lot, whenever I wanted to experience peace, I would have to go out in nature. Uh, For a long time, I'd have to really run away from the human world and stay out in nature long enough uh, for a sense of renewal to happen. And that's still a practice of mine. It's like it's a wonderful practice, and it's a deep practice that I cultivate. Uh, but I always would have to leave the human world to find peace. 
And when I got a sense on my first retreat of what mindfulness was and what it could help me with, the mindfulness and the metta, it was like being given everything, you know, because I saw the potential for all of us to find the peace and happiness within the human world, not to have to keep running away from it to find the peace. Uh, So this is a very profound uh, journey that we're on, you know, so that hopefully the glimpses of the freedom will keep you going during the retreat. The Buddha taught, one thing, if developed and practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind, to great benefit, to great security from toil, to great mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of wisdom and knowledge, to a happy abiding in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge, which means the fruit of insight and deliverance. What is that one thing? It is mindful contemplation of the body. So this is why we emphasize the body so much, whether it's with the breath or posture or um, physical movement, eating, walking, brushing hair, whatever we do. Uh, it's such an untheoretical anchor. We all have one. It's not abstract. Uh, we came into this life with one. And we can come to understand the whole universe. So the aim is freedom with mindful contemplation of the body. And when we t- truly understand the body, there's less and less attachment and we're not such a victim of the appearances of pleasure and pain. There's a very broad range of texture that we can experience with the body. And sometimes this is described as uh, earth, air, fire, water. Uh, So uh, we're often described as a changing process of earth and air and fire and water. Uh, from this Buddhist perspective. Uh, and this, this investigation is meant to shift us from conceptual to non-conceptual. Uh, so we try to have that intention to understand, free from any past conditioning or ideas about the body. The question, you know, what is my direct experience of a knee or back pain? or pleasure. You know, what is my experience of seeing beauty? What is it free from my past idea or concept about it? Uh, So certainly when we sit long enough, uh, we at least get in touch with earth element. You know, the buttocks (laughs) touching the cushion or bench or chair will at least sense the range of softness and hardness or rough or smooth. Uh, The air element is that range from very light vibration or tingling or pressure to pulling and stabbing and throbbing or fire element from cool to cold to burning to hot. And water element um, is an expression of fluidity or cohesion. It's like what gathers um, to make bread hold together. Water holds the elements together. Uh, So initially, in insight meditation, 
we're starting to get the mindfulness strong enough to open to this range of texture. Hard, soft, burning, cold. Uh, And out of this uh, openness to the range of, of texture and that range from pain to pleasure, we start to not take the body so personally or to see more clearly that we're not as solid as we think. But be careful when we hear these names, earth, air, and fire, and water, because they're not meant to refer to literal ingredients. They're characteristics that are present to various degrees in anything physical. Uh, So earth, air, fire, and water determine the appearance of objects to our senses. They're not any durable essence or identity. Uh, So the experience of earth, air, fire, and water is very different than the description. And even if we try to describe the breath as very light pressure, uh, that's just a description. It won't be your direct experience. Uh, But trying to describe it uh, with a less conceptual mind um, is like a reference point to start understanding who we are on a deeper level. And there are times when we really shift out of even the concept of earth, air, fire, and water. You know, there might be just vibration or particles or nothing. So the aim in paying attention to the body with mindfulness is that we see that the body isn't mine. Now the Buddha taught, the body is not what I am. This is not myself. Uh, and, and to get the implication again that if you understand your body, you're going to understand any physical matter in the universe. The great Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said, if you've understood a frog, you've understood everything. So getting a sense with the physical sensations that they're just coming and going by themselves uh, starts to allow a kind of openness and spaciousness of mind uh, that can be in the body, in the human world. Uh, So the liberation is coming from being here rather than trying to transcend away. The liberation happens by going deeply into and through and it comes from uh, controlling less and less. The more mindfulness, there's less need to control what is actually appearing. Uh, So as we get a sense to be able to do this with sounds or breath or body, we'll start to be able to do it with the mind. Uh, Mind states, thoughts, emotions. uh, We'll start to be able to see them more clearly and let them come and go by themselves. This year, um, at the end of June, was uh, our 11th young adult retreat that uh, Stephen and I have taught over the years, but also a number, many people help with that retreat, uh, or it isn't possible for it to happen. So there are about 60 young adults this year, uh, and we did our first sitting in the hall, and we would sit for 30 minutes. And I took questions, and the first question was, 
um, what do I do with all this pain in my body? And the second question was, forget about the pain in the body. What am I going to do with all this pain in my heart? They really get right to the point. You know, it was such a powerful beginning of the retreat. It was like, you know, okay, you know, we're here to understand and develop compassion. And it, it really takes the willingness to face that pain in our hearts uh, or we can't get liberated. It's not possible. If you just take one sitting and you're honest about your experience, usually there'll be this range of change from sleepiness to restlessness, from joy to self-hatred, from doubt to aversion, from knee pain to clarity to fantasizing to mindfulness. Uh, It's just this amazing array of change. And over the course of the days we start to get a sense of um, what we're really up against within our own minds. Uh, and really, we're up against a lot of resistance. You know, that by the third night, you start to get a sense of that. You know, it's like, you're just starting to arrive here. And what is it that prevents us from arriving here? More and more deeply is letting the resistance reveal itself and letting it be okay. And slowly we start to see that it's the resistance to what's happening that's causing us so much pain. I had an experience just before I came here uh, of resisting impatience. Usually when I'm packing up to come here, and I usually teach in Vancouver on my way here. It's, it's a long time away from home. Uh, and over the years, it just seems that I'm busier and busier. Uh, so I, I have these long lists of things to get ready before I come here. Uh, and I had lost my um, sneakers on an airplane, an inter-island airplane, um, the night before I left. Uh, and I, I usually just have a pair of sandals and sneakers in Hawaii. That's my footwear. Uh, so when I come here, I really want my sneakers because it's going to get cold, right? You can't just have sandals. So I was really wanting to have my sneakers. Uh, but I only had this little bit of time to go shop for some. Uh, and because I had to travel a lot on my way here, I didn't have time if I arrived in Vancouver to get them there. You know, it was a long couple of days of teaching. Uh, so I tried to run to the store with this little bit of time. Uh, and one of my fires this lifetime is rushing and impatience. Uh, so I went to the store that I, you know, assumed would be very quick and I had time for. And I got to this mall, went into the store, you know, to, to get the sneakers, and the store wasn't there. You know, so that was, that was, <laughs> that was a bad, that was a bad sign, you know. <laughs> Already I knew, you know, I could feel my body and mind just starting to contract, but it was like, it's okay, you know, there's another store <laughs> that maybe will have what I want. You know, but I, I could already feel that 
openness and being in the moment just it was just I was losing it but I hadn't totally lost it so I went into this other store that is about to go bankrupt um, that I know of uh, and I knew that they'd cut back on help and I was kind of already kind of you know worrying as I was getting to the store and I walked in and of course there was this whole group of people sitting waiting for this man you know it was one of those places you have to try on the shoes and wait um, and so this man had just been hired and the, the person he was supposed to be working with wasn't there for some reason uh, and I could just see it all happening and I was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and by the time I got to the area where um, he was helping these people this woman was trying on these unbelievably, to my mind, absurd high heels. You know, she had just, you know, you know these types of moments where the whole store, like, was, you know, filled with these open boxes, and they were these <laughs> really high, high heels. You know, just, just, you know, and all I wanted was some <laughs> diddly, you know, stupid sneakers. I mean, I didn't care what they were or what brand they were. <laughs> I just wanted these sneakers, so I went racing around, picked these sneakers out. I didn't even want to try them on. Uh, and I was just starting to glare, you know, at this guy who wasn't helping me. You know, he was just loyal to this customer, and he was going to wait till she decided before he'd wait on me. Uh, so I was standing at the counter, uh, and she just tried pair after pair after pair. Uh, and I just had that feeling, you know, she wasn't going to buy them. You know, that you get that sense that <laughs> this was just an afternoon out. You know, there was no worry about time or she didn't really have to get them. You know, and I just started boiling. You know, I was just furious. I was just so upset. You know, and I can tell myself, you know, it's okay, stay in the present moment. But I couldn't, I couldn't accept what was happening. And I was suffering so much. Finally, it was like, oh, I've had so much practice with this. I mean, I've had so much practice with impatience. And finally, it was like, try to receive this experience, you know, impatience, you know. And it's just, just because we recognize that it's impatience doesn't mean that it makes it pleasant, you know. And that's what's so hard. It's like, oh, yeah. But that moment of recognition is where we go from a lot of suffering to the beginning of peace, because it was just, okay, acceptance, and I just let that energy of impatience move through me, rather than getting totally focused on why what was happening shouldn't be happening, and that I had a right to move faster. Uh, so that burning energy of patience, impatience moved through, and I started to be able to joke with the guy, you know, and I apologized because my energy was so obnoxious. <laughs> you know, I was just glaring. And then we all started laughing. Actually, the woman um, bought the same pair of sneakers that I had in my hands. Uh, <laughs> there was a transformation that happened. <laughs> you know, and I went out, you know. So how many times on this retreat today or tomorrow or the next day where we'll be up against irritation or it wanting and we'll get so fooled by it. We'll get caught in the story and caught and caught and then finally the mindfulness, that acceptance, the recognition, oh, and we let ourselves burn. You let yourself experience it. It will come and go and it clears again.
and we get that glimpse of freedom that we, doesn't depend on what the experience is. It can be wanting, it can be aversion, it can be just the sound of a bird. But the idea is that we just learn to bring wise attention. And then there's freedom. Insight meditation is basically applying mindfulness with some kind of continuity to our experience. And when the mindfulness is there, and then some kind of semblance of equanimity where we're okay with what's happening, happens, um, liberation happens, freedom. And we get a sense of why we're here, what we're doing here. Not only what we're doing on the retreat, but really what we're doing with our lives. Now, what are we doing with the preciousness of our human birth this lifetime? And mostly, I think that this process of showing up requires showing up and then just patience. It's patience, patience, patience. Uh, so I'd like to end uh, tonight with a quotation by Anne Morrow Lindbergh from a book called The Gift from the Sea. The sea does not reward those who are too anxious, too greedy, or too impatient. To dig for treasures shows not only impatience and greed, but lack of faith. Patience, patience, patience is what the sea teaches. Patience and faith. One should lie empty, open, choiceless as a beach, waiting for a gift from the sea. Lying empty, choiceless as a beach, this is what leads to insight. That image of, you know, the, the, the sand, you know, where the waves hit the shore, uh, you know, in each wave erasing any marks or sense of the past. Yeah, you know, it's like one breath. The wave against the shore is like one breath. And then if we get that sense of just the soft, it's like an utter soft readiness. That's what mindfulness is. It's not a grasping, it's not a striving. It's just the soft readiness. And that's, the, that's what leads to insight. And that's, uh, the insight is what brings the transformation to freedom and peace and happiness. So let's sit for a minute.
May we have the patience to keep going with the practice and let insight happen by itself. So please keep going. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.